Good morning. It's so good to see each of you this morning. We're glad that you're here. If you're new here, uh, what we do every week is we just tell you a little bit about who we are at Joliet First. We have said that from the very beginning, we want to become a community of hope. In fact, put on your walls prior to my arrival, and we just adopted it and have said we want to become a community of hope. We have said that, that, that as we looked at scriptures, we see that God calls the farmers to leave the edges of their field for the widow, the poor, the orphan, and the foreigner. And we realize that in Joliet, we have a community of people that are, are just like that. And so we've been asking this question, what does it look like for us to become the edges of the fields to our community? And so we, we know what hope looks like, but so many of us have a, such, such a hard time defining what hope, hope really is. And so we have, set, we, have, we have set out four markers, your board gathered together, and we set four very core values that would define what hope would look like for us. And we said the first is that we would seek God with everything that we would have. Seek is the first thing. That we would align our life's habits with God's hopes for the world. And as we begin to seek God, there's kind of this love that moves within us that begins to pour out. And we believe that, that everything that God gives us, our gifts, our time, our talents, are to be invested and other people. That everything God gives you and me is not for our sake, but for the other's sake. And so we believe in investing in people. We will seek, we will invest. And our goal is that we will restore people with God's grace and a little bit of our work. God's amazing grace will restore people into his image. The very image in which he created each of us from the very beginning of time. So we can then send people into the world as images of God's hope. We believe the best church is the sent church. So we believe that hope comes about by seeking, investing, restoring, and sending. We want to welcome you to Joliet for this morning. We have been in a series for the last three weeks called Far Better. And so this morning we're going to continue that series. I think many of you agree with me this morning that the far better life is better when it makes sense. That the far better life is, is better when things go smoothly about this. Many of you have been in math class, and do you remember the time, the far better life is when you solve your first calculus problem without the help of your teacher. The far better life is when you understand why you do what you do at your job every day, and you become successful at it. The, the far better life is when we come home to a spouse, or we are in the middle of a relationship where harmony is the center of what, what is happening. The far better life is when we pick up healthy habits and we begin to experience an amazing energy we never felt before because of our bad habits prior to that moment. You see, that is what the far better life brings us. And here's what I know to be true about the far better life. When you experience the far better life, you will do everything to keep everything the far better life offers you. Everything. Now, to make your question, what happens when the far better life turns into the far bitter life? You see, I get it. There are moments in life where life doesn't make sense to you, that, that the human existence and things that are happening around you are so confusing, and you walk about life as though you just feel stupid because nothing seems to make sense. Think about this. There, there are times in your life where you go to your job and you can't help it but mess up. You just do. That's, this is part of what you do. No matter how hard you try, you can't, you can't help it. You just mess up. Maybe you've come home and, and you were hoping to have a great conversation with your wife and instead you get kids screaming and yelling at you. 
And in order to have a conversation with your spouse, you have to yell over the kids who are constantly yelling your name. Far better life at times. I think about this. This is true about the far better life. That It is the complete opposite of the far better life. That in the far better life, we will do everything to keep everything that gives us the better life. And in the far bitter life, we want nothing to do with it. Here, here's why. When you are in the far bitter life, you are disengaged. You feel disenfranchised. You feel extremely disconnected by what life is offering you. And so you want nothing to do with it. Now, what's fun about today is that, that, that Jesus calls us to live as a human in the joy of living in the tension of the everything and nothing. In fact, I've entitled my message today, The Everything and the Nothing. That's kind of where we're going, and you're going to hear a lot of that today. But we will start this morning in Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning as we begin? Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside, and notice this, he sat down. Quick side note, it is traditional for rabbis to walk around while they're talking, but when they get to the most important part of their message, or a pastor would say, what I want you to know before you leave today, they would sit down. So in honor of Jesus, I'm going to sit down, because these are the words that he really wants you to hear this morning. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of their faith and of their righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, Jesus Christ. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. We're going to get that straight for us in a minute. For in the same way that we persecuted, the, the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'm sorry. I'm really excited today about this message. I'm just going to have to slow down. I know some of you tell me I talk too fast. I'll work on getting slower. Whew. Well, a couple of weeks ago on Friday, I don't know, maybe you missed it, there was a transfer of power. There was an inauguration. There was a major speech that was had. There was an announcement made about a new government that was about to take place. Many of you watched on your TVs. Many of you grabbed your cell phones and you were watching live. You were streaming on your phones. But while we watched and we waited and we listened, I think some of us glossed over the most glaring aspect of that Friday afternoon. You see, what I loved about Friday was this very text that Matthew provides for us was read before the president's speech. And what I love about the, 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 the gospel that is given, I love the way the guy ended it. He said, respectfully sign Jesus Christ. I love that. Because what was presented was the way that the world was meant to be run. This is the way, as Matthew tells us, that the world was meant to be lived. This is the far better life according to God. But I gotta be honest. There was a disconnect 
between what Jesus has said and, and what the president wants. There was a disconnect between what comes from the divine words of God and what came from the presidential lectern. You see, I don't fault the president. I'm not here to, to rag on him. We're really no different than he is. He might think that he is different than us, but we're really no different than he is. And here's why. I think for many of us, there has been a disconnect between these words of Jesus and the way that we live. There's a disconnect between what we read in God's word and what we live in the world. And as we said earlier, when there's a disconnect, when we feel disengaged from God's words, when we feel disengaged from what God is calling us to, we really want nothing to do with it. And that's why the speech on Friday looked nothing like what Jesus talks about. Now, that's not the point of why I'm talking this morning. But what I want to tell you this morning is that Matthew gets this morning that there is a disconnect for us in this idea that Jesus expresses about the kingdom of heaven. In fact, last week, the language that, that Jesus uses when he arrives on the scene is repent. And we said it is an alarming embrace of the unforeseeable future. That's what it means to repent. To open your mind to change, to live according to change, repent, for a new way has arrived. The kingdom of heaven is here. That's what Jesus says. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. Now, many of us have been confused by what heaven is really all about in, in, in the Christian life. We have meant it to mean that heaven is this existence that we have after we die. But see, Matthew, we have to understand what Matthew is wanting to say Matthew is Jewish, and so he refuses to actually say God's name out of respect for God. So when Matthew says the kingdom of heaven, in other gospels it's translated the kingdom of God, when he uses the word heaven, he actually means God. So whenever Matthew talks about heaven, he's talking about God, and whenever he talks about God, he's talking about heaven. And we believe, as Christians, that Jesus is God. So if heaven is where God is, and God is where heaven is, and Jesus arrives in front of us in this moment, where is heaven this morning? Right here, in this moment. And Matthew understands for us that there is a disconnect between the heaven Jesus presents and the heaven we think we want to experience. And so, here's what Matthew does. Matthew takes... Matthew takes Jesus' teaching that he taught throughout all of his life. And many scholars believe that he has condensed every teaching that he has taught in his life and put it into like three chapters. We call it the Beatitudes, or excuse me, the Sermon on the Mount. But what Matthew is giving us is the Magna Carta of the kingdom. It is the manifesto of the king this morning. And what is so beautiful about it is that he has condensed every teaching of Jesus into this one moment so we will not feel disconnected from what God is bringing about. So, with that context in mind, I'm going to start preaching. I, I love it this morning, Jesus' opening line, and, and where the pastor on Friday started with this message is this. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If we, have a poor, if we are poor in spirit, we will experience heaven. Now, I have to be honest with you. I learned so much this week. I, I've pr we, we pray the Beatitudes nearly every day. That's part of a practice in our houses. We 
beatitudes every day, and yet I seem to miss the understanding of what we're actually praying. Here's what I learned this week. I learned that I am not poor in spirit. I just live out of a poor spirit. Let me say that again. I, I realized this week I am not poor in spirit. I just simply live out of a poor spirit, and here's why. People who live out of a poor spirit love to live in the pain and anguish of life and flourish in self-pity. People who live out of a poor spirit only recognize the negative in front of them. I don't know if Pastor Day has ever told you this. I don't know if any of your other pastors have told you this. But being a pastor is not really fun. It's really not enjoyable. In fact, I, sometimes I wonder what would happen if I said to you half the things that you say to me. Uh, I just wonder what would happen. But being a pastor is not always fun. And I would say this. The last two weeks have been interesting. And I realized in the last two weeks that I've been operating out of a poor spirit. And here's why. You see, I have been feeling sorry for myself. Sorry that I'm not the pastor that you expected. Sorry that I don't lead the way that people want to. Sorry that I'm not making everybody happy. Sorry that I'm frustrated with myself and some of the people that I've surrounded myself with. Sorry that sometimes, I'll be honest, ever since I've been a pastor, I feel stuck. Sometimes as a pastor, I feel sorry for myself because I feel so lonely. Being a pastor is a lonely position. And I've been, I started feeling sorry for myself. But then I, I realized that in living out of a poor spirit, the reason why my poor spirit was so present was because I was living according to the standards and numbers of the world. You see, I, I've, I've recognized over the last week, my poor spirit comes from me measuring my success, the success of the church, the, the growth of the church, that we look to all these church growth plans to determine what success is really all about, and I'm looking to all the wrong cues. And what I've learned is that I am measuring my life according to what the world wants and the numbers that we deem as successful. Now, Jesus uses this word poor, and I need you to hang with me for a minute. You guys are going to be scholars for just a few minutes. Jesus uses this word poor, and there are so many nuances to the word. In the Greek, there are two meanings to the, the Greek word poor. I'm not going to tell you the word because it doesn't really matter, but there are two kind of definitions. The first is what many of, uh, of us experience, and that is this, that poor was defined as people who go to work, come back, and have just enough to provide for their family, just enough to provide for them. They don't have an abundance. They're not rich. They have just enough. But they're not destitute either. But in the Greek, what Jesus provides for us this morning is he is representing people, the poor, who come from abject poverty. In fact, the, the definition gives us a vision of someone who is kneeling, who is crouching, who is cowering, who has literally been put to their knees. That is the Greek version. But Jesus isn't speaking in Greek when he speaks to his disciples in this moment. He's speaking in Aramaic, which kind of resembles the Hebrew. And there are four different kind of nuances and all uh, this movement in Hebrew when it comes to poor. He, he, hang with me here. In Hebrew... It starts by being simply poor. And when you are poor, you no longer have influence, you no longer have status, and you no longer have prestige. So when you are poor and you no longer have influence, you become a person who is oppressed by other people. Do you see the, the, 
progression here. We go from being poor to having no influence to being oppressed by people to the point at the end in number four of this progression where we see that being poor is that we have nothing left. And all we have left is to trust in God. You see, what I've learned this week is that we have to begin with nothing in order to get everything. You see, I think the last two weeks have been really a teaching moment for me because God has wanted to say to me, hey, pastor, you have to start with nothing, not your power, not your wit, not your way, but you have to start with nothing in order to understand the everything that I want to do in this church. So we, we put this together, and, and, and we put the Greek and the Hebrew together, and we learn that this beatitude means blessed is, is the person who is extremely helpless. Helpless to the point where all they have is God. Now listen, God does not want you to be poor. God does not want us to continue to keep people poor so they can experience the kingdom of heaven. We wouldn't have a mission at this church if, if that were so. But what Jesus tells us this morning is that you can be poor, you can be rich, but you can be poor in spirit. Because when we begin with nothing, when we pretend as though we have nothing, and all of our trust is put in God, we will begin to experience everything he has for us. So this week I realized that I may still have a poor spirit, but I'm beginning to see my eyes are being opened to what it means to be poor in spirit. You see, poor in spirit is the moment where I no longer listen to what people tell me who I am, but poor in spirit is about God telling me who I am. Poor in spirit is about God determining what success looks like for this church and for you and for me. Poor in spirit is is about God taking this church and moving it from darkness into light. See, God wants to take our nothing, and he wants to make it everything. That's where we start. The complete nothing and complete trust. But God, Jesus also wants to tell us this this morning. We must strive for everything or we will end up with nothing. We must strive for everything or we will end up with nothing. I love it in verse 6. Jesus tells us that the far better life begins for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let me give you a quick grammar lesson, Greek grammar lesson. There's actually a rule in Greek when the words hunger and thirst are put together. It's to be followed by a word, which is the equivalent in English of the word of. So what gets translated in the Greek of this, this statement is that I thirst for of. Doesn't make sense. I am hungry for of. And what's interesting about this is that when we use that kind of language, we are saying in some sense that we only want a part of the loaf. We only want a sip of the whole pitcher of water and wine that God offers us. I'm convinced this morning that some of us are so bored with following Jesus because we simply continue to eat the crumbs that the saints ate from the full meal ahead of us. You see, some of you are satisfied. Some of us are satisfied with the crumbs that fall from the faithful people that went in front of us. Some of you here this morning because your parents made you come. 
Some of you are here this morning because your spouse told you that you had to come. Some of you are Christian because your parents handed this faith down to you and you just accepted it. But see, all you're accepting is the crumbs. You're accepting the crumbs and not the full meal. And Jesus does something radical. He says, I love it. He breaks the Greek grammar rule. Imagine that, Jesus breaking rules. I love it. Jesus does not live a life that's defined by rules, but he defies all laws. And, and Jesus begins to speak in a way about hungering and thirsting that, that gets translated that we want the whole of everything. We want the whole loaf. We want the whole water. We want the whole pitcher of wine. you imagine what would happen if you quit eating the crumbs and you ate the full meal that God wants to offer you? You see, if you don't reach for everything, you will get nothing. We have to start with nothing to trust God, but when we trust him, he wants to offer us everything that he wants for us in the world. This is what the far better life is about. And the moment that we begin to eat the bread and we begin to drink the cup in its fullness, there is no longer a disconnect between the heaven Jesus talks about and the heaven he wants us to have. Did did you catch that this morning? Some of you need to wake up. Come on. There's no longer a disconnect. When we eat the fullness of who God is, there's no longer a disconnect between the heaven Jesus talks about and the heaven he wants us to have. See, the far better life is lived when you eat a far bigger meal. What is that? Happy size or, you know, what what do they call it? Super size. Super size me, Jesus. (laughs) I don't know about that. But I think when we begin to eat the fullness of God... There is a love that is filled within us. When we eat all of him, we become all he has ever dreamed of. And we are filled with his love to the point that we walk into the world. And there's, it's just overflowing from who we are because we are so full. Dear Jesus, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us our daily bread. And let us eat from the fullness of this meal. I love the conversation that takes place between Jesus and his disciples in the book of John. For those of you following the, the plan we have online, the prayer and the, and, the, and the reading plan, we are reading through John right now, and, and I love the conversation that takes place. You see, Jesus ha- had just taught his disciples how to feed people. He fed 5,000 people, and then Jesus does this weird thing where he walks on water, and then he goes to the other side of the sea, and his disciples are looking for him, and when they find him, Jesus says this to them. He says, I tell you, you are looking for me. You are seeking for me. You are searching me. You are finding me. You are beginning to see me, not because of the signs I performed, but because you ate. And not just part of the bread. He says, because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Not just one loaf, not just two loaves, but multiple loaves. He says, because you have eaten all these loaves, you now see who I am. He says, quit working for food that spoils. What I think he says to them is quit measuring your life according to what the world around you tells you you need to be. Because you will eat junk food. 
If you think success is about how much money you make, how well you do in your job, how harmonious your relationship is with your wife and your spouse, you are missing out what God wants to do for you. You see, we, we live in here. We live in what I'll call nothing, and we completely miss, because we're so focused here, we miss on everything that God is wanting to do. And so Jesus says, quit, quit hungering after things that will spoil but because you've had your fill, you now know what the kingdom of God is like. You have experienced heaven in this moment. See, the kingdom of heaven is not a place that we will enter. It is a place that Christians already have entered. So some of you are asking this question. What does it look like for me to eat the loaf? What does it look like for me to eat the whole? What does it look like for me to drink everything? I love what he says. There's another conversation that takes place right after Jesus says, you've had your fill. He says this. Uh, the disciples ask this question. They, they, they ask this question. It says, what must we do to do the work God requires? What must we do to do the work God requires? You see, now that they have eaten, they see the harvest that now needs to be reaped. They see the work that needs to be done in God's kingdom. Here's the key for us this morning. Jesus says to them, the work of God is this. Believe. Believe in the one he has sent. Can you hear that this morning? See, some of us are still eating crumbs because we have not believed, we have not trusted God with our nothing to become everything. We have continued to trust everything we have, and we get nothing that he wants. He says, believe. You see, when the everything of Christ is all we have, we will live a life like nothing this world has ever seen. I'm going to say that again because that was really, really, really good. And some of you are still sleeping. When the everything of Christ is all we have, we will become like nothing the world has ever seen. Some of you decided last week that you would repent. Some of you last week decided that you would believe. I love it. And Seth has kind of shared some of these stories this morning, but I've had wonderful conversations throughout the week with people where they said, Pastor, my eyes were opened because I have eaten from the fullness of God. I have decided that I will open my life to change and the everything that he wants to offer me. I have repented from what I want, and I want everything that he wants. And we have people who have said, I will no longer live in the past. But I want to live for the future that God has for me and has for this church. Woo. And he said, I will no longer make excuses. You know, I've been making excuses why I can't do this and why I can't do that and why I can't have people over to my house for a small group. And then he said, that's just an excuse. But he got a taste. He got a taste of the full loaf. He got, he got the whole pitcher of wine. And now he is drunk with the love of God this morning in such a way that he can't help but share it with everyone else. And I love that. That's what it means to believe. There's another person who has said, 
who has said, I want what God wants for me. And out of her own poverty, she has begun to minister to people who live in poverty. And what amazes me is that she, she couldn't even recognize that she was ministering to people. You see, when we believe, we have a ministry. When we eat, we can see the work in front of us. And, and I love the language. She said, I have a ministry. I mean, I get to do the work of God. This is not fun. It's hard. And Janelle said, welcome, my friend. You have made it. You have arrived in the uncomfortable ministry of Jesus Christ. <laughs> welcome. I am so excited. So excited about having the opportunity to live in discomfort. <laughs> That's right. Thanks be to God. question I want to ask you this morning. How many of you continue to lay on the floor and eat from the crumbs of the faithful? How many of you are satisfied with just the little nibbles of what God You will not have everything until you pull up a seat and you eat from one of the most eloquent and magnificent meals you've ever tasted in your life. And when you taste, you will experience life eternally. The kingdom of heaven. This morning, we want to invite you. This morning, I want to invite you. Some of, some of us here are not fully committed to this idea of Christianity. It's a bit weird. But aren't you getting tired of just living according to what everybody tells you you should be? Do you ever think that maybe there's something more? Is there something inside of you that wrestles with this idea of there's got to be more than this in my life? We want you to respond today. And the way that we respond is by receiving the fullness of God's body and the fullness of his blood that was poured out for us. I don't want to make you stand and feel uncomfortable and say, would you raise your hand this morning if you decided to believe in Jesus Christ? We don't, <laughs> we don't work that way at this church. You see, we believe that the greatest response to God's grace is you walking forward as a sign of a testament of what God is doing in your life and the power that you're about to receive because he has poured it out for you. So I'm encouraging you to pull up a chair and eat from this massive meal because the far better life is better when we eat a bigger meal. Would my people serving this word serving Lord this morning we we acknowledge that we must start at nothing that it is when we become so low and we recognize that we are nothing in this life without you that we put all of our trust in you that we will gain everything Lord teach us as your people to strive for everything to strive for eating all of what you offer us. Lord, I pray this morning for the one who has, who has yet to decide whether they want to eat from the table. I, I pray for the one that, that has been questioning whether you are real and whether you exist. 
And so this morning, as we receive, as we receive the table, as we receive the bread, as we receive the wine, may we be reminded that we are being called to something more than us. I pray that your love and your forgiveness and your passion and your mercy and your goodness moves within us this morning as we receive the power of these sacraments. In Jesus' name.